Hey, All Souls Church, Pastor Harvey here. Uh, we are going to get into the text of Scripture in just a moment. Uh, we're in a series called Making Sense of the Nonsense, where we're taking cultural issues and hot-button issues and looking at what the Bible has to say about those things. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about maybe the biggest one, the biggest of all, the biggest objection to Christianity, uh, the biggest struggle that we as Christians have as we think about uh, Christianity, hell that hell is uh, a reality and that the scriptures teach it. Uh, but also, I think that if you listen to today's sermon, you'll probably pick up some understanding of hell and what hell is all about and uh, why God created it and why uh, demons go there and people go there. So I hope it's helpful to you. There's going to be a lot of scripture, a lot of stuff, a little bit different than a normal sermon because I just want you to know what the Bible says about hell primarily, and then get your heart around uh, the reality of it so that uh, because it's a key part of the entirety of this cosmological world that we live in uh, that is formed by the Bible. And one of the things that we talk about at All Souls Church is that we want to be counterformed uh, by the scriptures, by the gospel. Uh, so the world is forming us, everything around us is forming us, but we want to counterform uh, in relation to the scriptures. So with that, Let's go ahead and uh, we're going to read the text of Scripture for today, and we're going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Uh, the text for today is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man, named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross from there to us. And he said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you are good, and you are holy, and you are right. And when we come to a topic like hell, there's so much that we as creatures don't understand. And there's so much that we as creatures misunderstand. And so, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, let your Word be our teacher today. And may we uh, reflect on the reality of hell so that we might understand the beauty of the gospel. 
But we, may we also reflect on the reality of hell so that we can feel the urgency of preaching your gospel to those that don't know the grace that is in Jesus. So come now, Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Hide me behind the cross that we all might see Jesus. And let your word speak to us. And let us be changed by it. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, <clears throat> the title of my sermon is, Hell? Question mark. Yes. Period. Hell yes. Um, John 3.16. Kind of the, one of the biggest core verses uh, for us as Christians. You know, you see it at football games and you see it. Uh, it's, it's on the uh, in and out cups, on the bottom of the cup. Uh, it is everywhere around where Christians are preaching the gospel. And the reason why is because it is a fantastic description of the gospel. And so I want to start by taking a look at that passage of Scripture and then also the verses that follow it to kind of frame uh, our discussion around hell. Uh, so here's the verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So I want you to see that the gospel, Christianity, is about starts with God's love. And he gives his son out of that love. That whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So those who put their hope and trust in the Son of God will not perish, but have eternal life. They will be with God forever. They'll experience eternal life in this world, but also in the world to come. But those who don't will perish, this passage says. And this is uh, the concept that we call hell. Perishing. Uh, being away from God's presence. But the next verse says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So, first of all, I want you to see that God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. So God's desire is to save people, to call people out of darkness into His forgiveness and His light. But the next verse says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here it is. Those who place their faith in the Son will not perish. But those who reject the Son, they're all, this passage says they're condemned already. And it says the reason why people reject God, the reason why they reject Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is because they don't want to have to come into the light. They don't want to have to come into the light because their deeds will be exposed. Their darkness will be exposed. And so humanity runs from the light and runs into the darkness. But it says the one who comes to the light and has his deeds exposed, has himself exposed for the sinner and the broken person that they are, that person can come to the light and be exposed by the light, but then also come to forgiveness that comes in God. 
And so the key of everything when we talk about heaven and hell, when we talk about afterlife, the key is this. Heaven is about Jesus. Uh, the, the primary thing going on in heaven is the glory of God and, and the connection that he has with his people. Heaven is a place that is about God. And if you don't love God in this world, then heaven will be a hell for you. And what, what happens to us in the brokenness of our humanity is we reject coming into the light. We reject being exposed because we're afraid. And we run from the God that wants to forgive us. And this choice is something within us. that It's the sin, it's the brokenness within us, that there is a hell within us. And that hell within us eventually becomes an eternal hell that we enter into forever. An isolated place where we get our own way. And that's really what hell is all about. Hell is about getting your way. Hell is about uh, having it your way. All right? So um, I wanted to start with that to frame it around, that God desires to save. And that the reason why people go to hell is because they reject God's forgiveness, they reject God's light, they reject God, and they don't want to come to Him to be exposed in the light, and they don't want to come to Him for forgiveness. People want to earn their own way. People want to stand on their own two feet. Um, so I want to tell you that as I studied this, uh, it's having a deep effect on me. Every time I talk about this topic, it has a deep effect on me. And, and really, you know, with many sermons, I'm very excited to preach it. This one, not so much. I feel just a burden about it. I feel a burden as I thought about it personally, but also knowing the burden that it, it, it will put on all of us to, to come to understand the reality. Uh, that is going on in regard to God's judgment. Now, in Ezekiel, uh, God says this. Uh, he says to the, the prophet Ezekiel and, and delivers the word. God says, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So God says, I don't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn back. Turn to me. This is what we call repentance. To, to turn away from yourself as a source of salvation. To turn away from the darkness and turn to God in the light. So God's desire is not that people should perish. God's desire is not that people should go to hell forever. But people reject God and want their own way, and they live in the trajectory that is moving towards hell. So uh, when we understand hell, first of all, we have to understand that uh, God's wrath. And there are two types of God's wrath. Uh, the first is the one we usually think of. So you might think about the book of Revelation, where God is literally pouring out wrath on the evildoers of the earth, those that did evil and harmed and started wars and all of that. So this, this, you know, this is the kind of like lightning bolt God is judging directly. Um, that's called God's active wrath. But there's also something else in the Bible that uh, is all over, which is God's passive wrath. And what God's passive wrath is, is this. It's when God allows you to go your own way. When, when God doesn't stop you from what is evil, but he allows you to pursue evil and go your own way. And he doesn't, he doesn't hold his hand back. He just lets you go. 
He lets you go in the direction that you want to go. Uh, Tim Keller said about this concept that hell is the trajectory of the soul living in a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. So if you're self-absorbed and self-centered, you, your life has a trajectory that is going towards hell and that hell is the place where you can continue for all eternity living a self-absorbed, self-centered life. Heaven is a place where, you, where you're not self-absorbed. You're not self-centered. Uh, Christianity is when you move away from self-absorption to focus on God's love that is in Christ. Uh, but the tr there's hell within us, and every soul is moving towards hell uh, with, with just abandon, moving towards hell with, with uh, just passion because we want our own way. So if hell is the trajectory of the soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever, what happens is, is that the self-focus uh, and the desire for your own way and your own will that you have in this life continues on into the next life into a place of isolation where you get your way. See, grace is when God steps in and says, no, you're not going to have your own way. I'm going to save you. But hell is a place where you get your own way. C.S. Lewis said this, Either you say to God, Thy will be done, or God says to you, Thy will be done. And this is what hell is all about. Uh, to come into God's grace and to move your, to the trajectory of your soul towards heaven, you have to come to God and say, Thy will be done. But if you won't do that, God will in the end say, Okay, you can have your way, Thy will. And the trajectory of your soul is moving towards judgment and hell. A godless existence where you're under the judgment of God, having your own way. Alright, so I want to take a look at this story that we read just a minute to explain this concept. Uh, that, that either you say to God, thy will be done, or God says to you, thy will be done. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So there's three characters in this story. In verse 18, we have the rich man. And we're just told he's just a rich man. He's a guy that lived and uh, feasted and, and lived a very powerful, good life. The second character that we're introduced to is Lazarus. And we're actually told Lazarus' name, which is interesting. The rich man in the afterlife, we're not told his name, which might be indicating that um, he, he's become a broken version of himself. He, his identity is completely wrapped up in self-absorption. And this is what hell is. It's, it's, it's having all you want forever and just continuing to turn in on yourself. And it causes uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, as Jesus says. Um, so, And then the third character in this story is Abraham. Now, you have to understand that Abraham, for the Jewish people, and even for us as Christians, is the father of the faith. You know, there's a song we used to sing uh, when I was real little, Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, you know, you know that song if you grew up in the church. And uh, the idea behind that is this, that when we place our faith in God, we are part of a long-standing tradition going all the way back to Abraham of people that were justified by faith, that were saved by their faith. In God and Abraham then represents for all people for all time the, the 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 man of the promise the man of faith the the one that God promised the Messiah 
too. And so Abraham was justified by faith, and we're told in the New Testament that when we are standing, when we get right with God, we're right with God by faith. So what we have here is a couple of things. We have, uh, we're going to see Lazarus, the poor man, has faith. He goes to Abraham's side. And the only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven is not by works and not by performance, but by faith and faith alone. He has, but, so he has true faith in God's grace. Whereas the rich man, who would have been in the Jewish society, uh, would have probably even believed in God, even the God of the Bible, but he did not repent. He did not turn to God for grace. He lived a self-absorbed life. So he says, I believe in God, but lived a life of self-absorption. And so uh, the trajectory of his life ends up in hell, the place of self-absorption. And the trajectory of the poor man's life, although he was broken and poor and had nothing, the trajectory of his life ends up in heaven. Not because he earned it, but simply because he put his faith in the promises of God. So those are our three characters. And the connection around Abraham is that we're justified or saved by faith, and that the one guy had a kind of a faith, a belief in God, the other one had a true faith in God, the poor man did. All right, in verse 22, uh, it says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So I want you to see the difference here. The poor man died and, and is carried to Abraham's side, heaven, uh, the place where those who are justified by faith like Abraham were, uh, dwell. So he goes to that place. Then the rich man died, and it says, and he was buried. And, verse 23, in Hades, being in torment. So he's buried, and he goes to Hades, or hell, and he is in torment. Now, uh, a lot of people say, well, what is this torment? And, you know, the, the scriptures talk about fire and hell and, and whatnot. And I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, um, you know, when people ask him, like, will there really be flames and fire? Are people going to be burning alive in hell forever? And Tim Keller says, oh, no, 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 that's, that, that's metaphorical. And then people kind of go, oh, good. All right, so what does it mean? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's that, uh, fire is just a metaphor. I think it will be much worse than fire. <laughs> and I think that's true. Self-absorption and self-centeredness without a turning out, without others, a total isolation is hell. It's hell. To be absorbed in yourself for all of eternity, rejecting the favor and goodness and grace of God. Well, this rich man is in torment, it says. And he lifts up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, what is going on here in the afterlife, we're not really sure, but somehow, uh, we, you know, uh, there is an, the ability, at, at least in this parable, uh, for the rich man to see into heaven and he can see Lazarus. And he knows Lazarus was the guy that was in front of his house every day, the guy that he really never took care of or fed, uh, the guy that he just passed by and despised. But this guy had true faith in God, even though he was homeless and broken and sick and uh, alone. And, and so he recognizes, oh, that's the guy that was in front of my house all the time. And look at what he says. You, you would think that in hell people would be repentant, right? You would think that in hell people would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, oh, please accept me back in. But that's never what's going on in hell as we see it in the scripture. People are not begging to get out of hell. 
uh, it's not that God has thrown people into hell and they're trying to get out and he's like, no, you can never come out. Instead, the trajectory of the soul continues into the next life. If you don't want God in this life, you will, won't want God in the next life. But what is removed is all the blessings of God that you have in this good creation. And all you're left with is yourself. Self-centeredness. So he lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham and Lazarus far off. In verse 24, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now listen to what he says there. He says, have mercy on me. But he doesn't ask, I want to go in there. I want to come to heaven. He says, have mercy on me uh, by you know, giving me a drink of water. I'm in torment over here. But he, the, what he says is very interesting. Send Lazarus. He's beneath me. He's still my servant. He's the homeless guy that lived in. Send him. Send him to come and serve me. And what is interesting, he doesn't ask to go into heaven. He asks for Lazarus to be sent to hell with him to alleviate his pain. In other words, he's non-repentant. Hell did not change him. Hell is just the continuation of the life that he lived here on earth. And now he even still thinks that Lazarus is beneath him and should be served. And he's even telling Abraham, commanding Abraham, what to do. Uh, completely brazen and unrepentant. I think sometimes we get this idea that people in hell are wishing uh, they could get out and wishing they could, have, oh, if I would have only believed in God. But the reality is, in hell, people are continuing on the way that they lived here. And it's not that they want to come to God and bow before Him. They didn't want to in life, and they're not going to want to in death either. And so we see... Uh, uh, verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember, and, and listen to Abraham's tone. He's, uh, he's still compassionate and loving, even though this is the situation. Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to... Uh, be able and none may cross from there to us. So here we see that this is final. The book of Hebrews says that uh, you live once and then comes judgment. So it's not as if there is a purgatory or some kind of second chance in the afterlife where God's like, okay, I'll give you one more shot. Do you believe in Jesus? Will you trust him? Uh, no. There, they, there is, uh, once you're there, you're there, and there is no crossing back from hell into heaven. And so he, he says, so the, the man in hell, the rich man, says this. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. So again, he's still commanding Lazarus to do things. He still thinks the world serves him and that Lazarus needs to be his errand boy. Okay, tell him to come here. Tell him to go over there. Uh, he's still self-absorbed and doesn't un brazen and unrepentant. And he still does not get it. Uh, he says, send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may, he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. A couple things going on here. He, he's commanding, go warn them, so they don't come to the place of torment. But the second thing that is very interesting is he's actually insinuating something. He's insinuating, I didn't have enough information. I didn't, you know, nobody came to me. 
So, and that's why I'm here. It's your fault, not my fault. It's God's fault that I'm here, not my fault that I'm here. And if I would have had the right information, then I wouldn't be here. But uh, at least get the right information to my brothers. You see the brazenness of his sin. He's, he's still living in rebellion and sin against God, even in torment and hell. Now listen to what Abraham says. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's another way to say the Bible. God has given his word. Let the people on earth hear his word. There's not going to be some special miracle just for you. God has given his word. Now, God could do a special miracle for an individual, and he has, and he might do it again. But what the normal way in which God communicates to the world is through his word. And what Abraham says, if, if they will not listen to God's word, it does not matter. They will never listen ever. And verse 30, uh, the rich man says, and he said, No, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Like if it, someone goes from the dead, then they'll be like, oh, it is real, and they will repent, and they'll change their life. Um, this is like when people say, well, if God would just show me that he's real, if, 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 there, if I could just have absolute proof that I want on my terms, then I will believe. Um, and he's saying, if you will do it this way instead of the way that you did it, then my brothers uh, will repent if you send them somebody that is raised from the dead. And Abraham, of course, says, he said to them, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets in the Bible, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And of course, Jesus, is, as he tells this story, is making a reference to his own resurrection. Even in his resurrection, and through the proofs of his resurrection, and the establishment of the church and the proclamation of the gospel, even though somebody is resurrected from the dead, those who choose hell in this life continue on that trajectory to live in hell in the next life. Even though somebody was raised from the dead, they don't change. They don't repent. You see, hell is when God says to you, thy will be done. Fine, you can have your way. You can go your own way. And you can go that way forever. And you can go that way in torment. Now, uh, in light of that, I want to just go through several passages of Scripture, and I'm going to move quick and just make a quick comment on each one, because I want you to see how much is in the Bible on hell. And by the way, I'm not even scratching the surface. I'm just giving you uh, a few texts of Scripture. I'm actually going to give you a lot, but not as many as I could. And this is where the it's a little bit different of a sermon. And so just hang with me and listen to the Bible as it talks about uh, the reality of hell. Daniel chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. At that time, it's talking about the end times. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is in charge of your people. That's the archangel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was uh, a nation until that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. These are the people that are justified by faith. Their name is written in the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, that's heaven, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So a couple things there. There's everlasting life and everlasting contempt. Because there is some discussion on, is hell eternal? Is it just like you go there and you burn up and you die? Or does it last forever? Well, I think the scriptures seem to teach 
that it lasts forever, that it's an eternal place, as this passage says. Um, all right, now listen to uh, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 23 and 24. It's talking about heaven and hell, kind of a similar scene that we just looked at in the last story. It says this, from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come and worship before me, declares the Lord. So heaven's going to be on earth and the people that are here on earth will come and worship God week after week uh, from Sabbath to Sabbath. A beautiful picture of what heaven is going to be like. And then it says this, um, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So somehow in heaven, there's an ability to peer over into hell where God's enemies are being judged. And those who have been saved by God's forgiveness and grace uh, rejoice with God that he has brought judgment to evil. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. All right, uh, Mark uh, chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to do three different verses from chapter 25. Verse 41, uh, Jesus says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed it, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that's one primary thing I want you to understand. Hell was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. The others that go to hell have joined in the rebellion with the devil and his angels. And so it's prepared for the devil and his angels and those who continue that trajectory the same that the devil and angels did. Uh, and it says this about those people. It says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Uh, in, in verse 30, at the end of one of his parables in Matthew 25, Jesus says this, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So hell is a place where of continual weeping and but also gnashing of teeth. In other words, you're angry and mostly angry with God uh, in hell. Okay, in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 49, this talks about the practical part of how hell is in us and how that continues to lead to the next life if we don't repent and come to Jesus. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, Sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. In other words, he's saying there is hell in you, and whatever is in you that is driving towards hell, you got to cut it off. You gotta pluck it out. You gotta remove it from your life. You see, hell is in the human race. And the human race is on its way to hell with abandon. And what this passage is saying, you gotta, anything that is hindering you, anything that is keeping you on that pathway towards hell, it has to be removed. This is what we call repentance. All right, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body 
and soul and hell. So here he's saying, fear God. Don't fear this world. Don't fear humans. Uh, fear God because he's the one that has the ultimate judgment at the end of the day. Just a couple more verses here. First, uh, Second Thessalonians 1, 5 through 9. It says this, this is evidence of God's righteous judgment. So I want you to hear that, righteous judgment. God is always right in everything that he does. The righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So it's saying those who persecute Christians who come against God's kingdom will face God's mighty judgment. Jude 14 through 16. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So here we see a couple of things. We see God's judgment, but we also see it's the trajectory of the soul of these people that are grumblers and, uh, what does it say, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They continue to follow those desires all the way into hell because they won't turn to God and be saved. Two more verses from the book of Revelation. It says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So I want you to see that the, the burning wrath of God uh, that, is, that is there. And then uh, a final verse I'm going to cover in this section is this, Revelation 20, 20, 10 through 15. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and so forth, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the th throne and the books were open. And another book was open, which uh, is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead were, that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, Hell is real. How can a God of love send people to an eternal hell? Well, it depends where your starting point is. If you start with God, who is infinite and powerful and pure, 
it makes total sense that these creatures have rebelled against him. These creatures that are, that are small and totally dependent upon him. If you start with God, it makes sense. But if you start with man, hell doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we can't start with man because man is not the origins, origin of reality. Um, who is God and who is man? That's really what the question of all of this is all about. The, the other question is, is God loving then? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because he is a God of justice. He, it, it, it is not love to let evil continue. God must destroy evil. And he created hell to destroy evil. God's ultimate intention for his creation is to make it pure and whole again, to where he will dwell with us in this creation in perfect harmony. But in order to do that, he has to eradicate evil. He has to eradicate the works of the devil. He has to eradicate sin. And in order to do that, he created hell as a place where those things can be removed from creation and sent somewhere to fall under judgment. So God is so devoted to his own love, to love, period, that he must destroy what is evil. God is an eternal God, and this is why hell is an eternal thing. Every time we sin against an eternal God, each sin deserves an eternal punishment, because not because the sin itself is eternal or is worthy of eternal, but because of who we sin against. We sin against the one who is eternal. Each sin is an eternal offense, and he will, And here's the reality. Hell will never pay off the debt. There's no time in which you just burn for long enough like purgatory is. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that it burns it all off, and now you can go into heaven. No amount of hell uh, will pay off your debt. So here's the question. What will you do? Have you put your hope and faith in Jesus to save you? Have you turned away from the hell that is in you? Or are you saying, no, I want my way. I want God on my own terms. See, God will save you and forgive you, but you must turn to him. Now, before I wrap this up, I do want to give you a little bit of hope because if you're feeling the weight of it like I have been this week as I taught, um, I understand. But I want to read you this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers who lived about 150 years ago, he said this, Do you think that Christ will let the devil beat him? That he will let the devil have more in hell than there will be in heaven? No, it is impossible. For then Satan would laugh at Christ. There will be more in heaven than there will be among the lost. God says there will be a number that no man can number who will be saved. But he never says that there will be a number that no man can number that will be lost. There will be a host beyond all count who will get into heaven with glad, glad tidings for you and me. What I want to say about that is this. That is what I, what I hope. That is what I think I see in the scriptures and what I understand about the character of God. That God's desire is to save. God has sent his son to save. God is not a God that is cruel and just wants people to die and, and, and suffer forever. He's sent his son to save. People go to hell because they want to. God has sent his son because he wants to. And he wants to reconcile people to himself. 
And what you see, the reason why Jesus can save us is because Jesus took hell for us. You see, if I, if a human goes to hell, uh, all eternity will never be enough to save you, to burn it off, to to uh, to take away the wrath of God against evil. But three hours one Friday, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for everyone who will believe. He went through hell on the cross. He was in agony. He was in hell. Why was he in hell? Because he was bearing our sins. He was bearing our guilt. He was bearing our shame. And not just for one person, but for billions of people. He was bearing it all upon himself. His heart literally broke on the cross as he faced the wrath of God. Uh, we're told that there was an earthquake that shook the world the day that Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because he was taking hell for us. It says that darkness came over the land, a sign of God's judgment, not upon us who believe, but instead upon Jesus, who was perfect. God's judgment fell upon him to save us from our sins. And on the cross, Jesus went through hell to such a degree that he felt abandoned by God, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took hell for us. So because he took hell for us, we can flee from the wrath that is to come. If you are someone who believes, trust in Jesus and continue that trust all the way into eternity. If you're someone who is doubting, is struggling with the faith, you're not sure if you do believe, turn to him. If you're somebody who is caught in sin and, and you won't repent of it, turn to him. He will forgive you. He will save you. Come and be saved. This is what it means to be saved. You're saved from hell. You're saved from sin. You're saved from death. You're saved from the wrath of God. This is We really mean saved when we talk about saved because we need to be saved. And the beautiful thing is this, that any sinner that turns from the trajectory of hell, the hell that is in them that is leading to the hell that is eternal, any sinner that will run to Jesus, Jesus will forgive you don't have to clean up your life first. You don't have to get your act together first. You simply turn away from hell to him, and he will save you. He'll help forgive you, and he will cleanse you, and he will be with you forever. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your word. It is so hard for us to even think about hell. We don't understand it all, but we trust you. And the reason we can trust you is because you've proven your love by sending Jesus to live for us and die for us and rise for us. So Lord, save those who are listening that don't believe. Deliver them from hell. Give them faith. And for those of us who have faith, may we understand how beautiful your love is and what we're really saved from. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace, y'all.